Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, October 28th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Calvin Walker. Today on the show, the EU reaches a deal to ban new internal combustion cars in 2035. Ford CEO Jim Farley talks up the benefits of new EV tax incentives. And two big automakers say they can't comply with Massachusetts' right to repair law. Plus, there's a looming deadline for retailers to adapt to the updated safeguards rule. We'll hear from KPA's Robert Eben about how best to prepare before new rules take effect. The good news is, you know, although you might be a little late to the game, you're not too late, and there are still steps that you can take to get ready for this December deadline. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The European Union has reached a deal to effectively ban new combustion engine cars starting in 2035. The EU's three key institutions, its executive arm, the parliament, and member states, agreed to a deal on Thursday that will require automakers to reach a zero-emission target by 2035. The decision means that new gasoline and diesel cars will not be registered for use on the region's roads after 2035. The deal also included a 55% cut in CO2 emissions for new cars sold from 2030 versus 2021 levels. That's a much steeper cut than the existing target of 37.5%. While Europe moves forward with stringent emissions rules, here in the U.S., the federal government is using incentives to try and drive electric car adoption. Ford CEO Jim Farley says new EV tax credits created by the Inflation Reduction Act are a big boost for the automaker as it ramps up production. We expect the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act to have a wide range of positive impacts for both our customers and for Ford. What's not yet clear is the degree to which the IRA will drive customer demand versus offsetting our EV investments and growth. Farley was speaking on Ford's third quarter earnings call this week. He said he sees an especially important benefit for its Ford Pro commercial business. Ford estimates that 55 to 65% of its commercial customers will be able to claim that credit next year on its F-150 Lightning Pro pickups and e-transit vans. Penske Automotive Group President Rob Koenig says the company has faced pressure with its car shop, standalone used vehicle brand in sourcing vehicles and earning an acceptable margin. Penske posted record revenue of almost $7 billion in the third quarter, but revenue for the car shop division decreased 7% in the quarter, and sales were down 5%. The company did not say if that unit was profitable in the quarter. Koenig says the company is stepping back and putting its used car strategy under the spotlight. What we're experiencing now, which probably many in the room are experiencing, is just a lot of pressure when it comes down to the ability to buy the car right and ability to get an acceptable margin because of where used car pricing is gone. Koenig was speaking with Automotive News publisher Casey Crane yesterday at the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. You'll hear more of that conversation next week on Daily Drive. Finally, General Motors and Stellantis say they can't comply with Massachusetts' updated right to repair law without putting their customers at risk. The automakers told a federal judge that cybersecurity and other practical concerns prevent them from meeting the terms of the law. In separate briefs filed last week, cybersecurity executives from GM and Stellantis said the automakers cannot implement the law's requirements safely and therefore they haven't taken steps toward compliance. 
The briefs were filed as part of an ongoing lawsuit between the Massachusetts Attorney General and the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, which represents GM, Stellantis, and other major automakers. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, do you think the EU strategy to convert to EVs is better than the U.S. approach? Well, it's definitely more aggressive. You know, they've been fighting the carbon emissions uh, a lot more assertively for a lot longer, pushing the market toward hybrids and plug-in hybrids, and now setting a, a goal for all EVs by 2035. Not just a goal, a rule. America has not been as fired up to do that. We're, we have a very truck-heavy market, and it's very difficult to make millions of pickups that are affordable and electric. Coming up, we'll hear about some action steps procrastinating dealerships can take to comply with the new safeguards rule. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money Podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Dealerships have known for more than a year that a series of sweeping changes were coming to the safeguards rule. That's the regulation that dictates how financial institutions, including dealerships, protect customer data. But with the clock ticking toward the December deadline, Robert Eben, Senior Manager of Legal Affairs at KPA, has a few tips for those dealerships still short of fulfilling the new obligations. Eben spoke with Senior Editor Dan Shine and also discussed the auto lending outlook for the rest of 2022 and early 23. Robert, thanks for joining us on the FNI Friday edition of Daily Drive. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about safeguard rules. Now, I'm a procrastinator by nature. Uh, being in the newspaper business, I'm deadline driven all the time. And so I won't do anything until the deadline is right there. And we're getting right there in December for the safeguards rule to be enacted. And there are probably procrastinators out there. Uh, is it too late for them? Or are there, are there still things that they can do to at least get the ball moving towards complying with these rules? Yeah, no, and, that, and that's a great question. And I'm a procrastinator too as well. So we're, we're in the same boat. The deadline, as you said, is December 9th. And so not to rehash all the, the different requirements and things for the safeguard rule, there were a few that they threw out there. But I think the good news is, you know, although you might be a little late to the game, you're not too late. And there are still steps that you can take to get ready for this December deadline. And, you know, we, we said that you should be running uh, you know, at least a couple months ahead of time so you can work out the kinks and things of that nature. Well, that's right about now. And so I think the first thing you need to do is assign your qualified individual, i.e. the person in charge of overseeing your information security program. I think once you have that in place, you can start building off of that. I think going then in descending order of like what is the most time consuming, I would suggest inventorying your data and your systems knowing where your information is going and being stored and who it's going to and the systems that you're using, that takes quite a bit of time. I would also start looking into putting those IT requirements in place. Like, you know, you remember your multi-factor authentication, your penetration testing, the vulnerability assessments, encryption, those types of things take some time to, to fully get up and running. I think the other thing that takes a lot of time is identifying all your service providers 
um, and then assessing their level of risk, like what they're handling for you, what data they're handling, and are they doing that properly? Those first few things take some time. And, and I would start immediately if you haven't already. And then I think from there, the other few things you want to consider start doing as soon as possible is revising your information security program to include uh, the new required elements um, to then conduct your written risk assessment. And finally, to write your incident response plan. I, I think if you, if you kind of go in order of those and you start as soon as you can, I think you still have time to do that and, you, and you'll be in pretty good shape there. I know some groups have asked for an extension before these rules go into effect. I don't think that will be successful. Um, if uh, the deadline comes and, and you haven't maybe uh, done all you need to do, can you expect a knock on your door the next day? Or do you think there would be a little bit of a grace period before any kind of enforcement action might take place? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess technically they, they can start enforcing it, you know, December 9th. But I think realistically, and especially for dealers, because remember the safeguards rule, although we're talking about dealers, isn't just for dealers. Um, and so, you know, I think there's going to be some time. I think there's going to be some kinks to be worked out. But, you know, that doesn't mean you should you should kind of just sleep on it. I think so long as, as you're not the low-hanging fruit when the time comes around and so long as you don't have a data breach or a significant data breach, you should have some time. But again, I, th I think this is just kind of the, the wake-up call to, to get started. Okay. Are you procrastinators out there? Listen up. So. so switching gears, let's talk a little bit about kind of what you see out there for the rest of 2022 and maybe into early 2023. Uh, FTC's been, seem like they've been a little bit active and you know, proposing some new regulations. They just hit uh, a dealer group with a 3.4, or they settled with a dealer group for 3.4 million. Can we expect more of the same out, out of the FTC uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming months? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, and I think that's something that we, we need to be on the lookout for uh, to end this year strong and, and to continue into 2023. The FTC has been really active. And, you know, I think we can see from their actions and, and their enforcement actions what hot button topics we need to look out for. And the two that I've picked out that I wanted to mention to you guys here, I think the first one being a discussion on junk fees, illegal fees, that type of thing that we've been seeing from the FTC. And the other one being the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, ECOA, discrimination, discriminatory practices. Um, so I think those are two of the big ones that we need to watch out for. And I'll go into a little bit more detail on both. In terms of the junk fees, we've really seen a lot of examples in the past few FTC actions uh, where they've hit dealers on this junk fee, legal fee uh, discussion. It's really a hot button topic too, because as, as you just mentioned, the proposed FTC motor vehicle dealers trade regulation rule was released this year. It's still proposed. It hasn't been enacted officially yet. But as you can see, this is clearly on the radar when they're enforcing dealers about this and when they're creating rules about this. And these come about in a few ways that we've seen in their examples. Junk fees can be seen when selling optional products to customers that really have no intrinsic value to that customer. And the few examples that we've seen in the FTC rule, actually, they specifically cite the gap in circumstances where the loan to value ratio is such that the gap doesn't really provide any benefit to the customer or like nitrogen filled tires where there's no more nitrogen in the tire than it's like naturally occurring in the environment or for products that are, you know, the customer's really ineligible for like a service contract that doesn't work in their area or for a service contract that doesn't work for their specific vehicle. 
we've really seen crackdowns on quote unquote certification fees that are charged to the customer where the vehicle is already advertised as a CPO or a certified vehicle. And then, you know, the customer gets charged with a quote unquote certification fee or extra reconditioning, inspection or prep fees on top of the advertised price of the vehicle. And then also we've seen a lot of allegations about inserting charges for optional products or add-on products without consent or knowledge from the customer. And in some instances, the dealers have even gone so far as to say these products are required to be purchased by the customer in order to obtain financing. And so all of those issues are problematic. And then the FTC really combines it creatively to also make false advertising allegations as well, because these add-on charges and fees will result in vehicles, for example, being sold above advertised price. As to the Equal Credit Opportunity Act issues, we've really seen this either in an overt discrimination claim or a disparate impact argument. Disparate impact, uh, if you'll remember, it reared its ugly head a few years back and it's come back with a vengeance. And it's generally where there's policies and practices that are neutral on their face, but then give a disproportionate negative impact on a protected class or group of individuals. And so we've seen this alleged in really three different ways by the FTC. The first is where minority customers are receiving higher markups. The other ways are where the minority customers are receiving markups more often, or where the minority customers are charged higher fees on average than their similarly situated white customers for optional products. So the same product to a white customer will be, will be at a significantly lower price than that to the minority customer. So getting back to junk fees and kind of circling back, what are yeah. some kind of like, do you have any some kind of tips or best practices to kind of keep them uh, either from running afoul of the, of the regulations? Yeah, sure. And that's a great question. I mean, I think at a very high level, I think we want to be careful and not to charge certification fees. Remember, if a vehicle is advertised as certified, don't charge customers additional fees and costs to make the vehicle certified then, because if the vehicle was advertised as certified, that price should be inclusive of these charges already. Um, another thing is we need to be aware of the products offered to customers, and they really need to have some potential benefit or use to that customer. Uh, we don't want to be selling overlapping products, products that really don't work for the customer's vehicle and things of that nature. We need to also remember that optional products are just that, they're optional. We don't want to make financing contingent on the purchase of these products because that can be both like a unfair deceptive act or practice issue as well as a hidden finance charge issue. And I think ultimately we want to be transparent with your business practices surrounding optional products and fees and things of that nature. The customer really should know and affirmatively consent to optional products and should be aware of all the fees that are involved ahead of time. And this goes into your uh, menu, uh, your F&I menu practices and procedures as well. We, we really want the customer to know what the price of the vehicle is without anything added on so they can determine what they want to buy and if it's worth it for them. Uh, Robert, we'll leave it right there. Um, we've run out of time, but appreciate the conversation. And uh, thanks for being on Daily Drive with us. Thanks so much. Robert Eben is Senior Manager of Legal Affairs at KPA. He spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on finance and insurance, carbon regulations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with 
Hireology CEO, Adam Robinson, about the ways he says hiring and retaining retail workers has fundamentally changed over the past half decade. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.